Well, welcome everybody. I'm coming to you today virtually because uh, myself and about 75 men from New Life have been spending the weekend together at our annual men's retreat and it won't be over till Sunday afternoon. But I can tell you that since Friday, uh, we have been out in God's creation. We have had our Bibles open. We have been worshiping God. I can tell you there's new friendships that have been forming and we have been eating a lot of red meat. I can tell you that for sure. Well, we're having a great time and so that's why I'm coming to you virtually today and I'm sure that you'll be seeing plenty of pictures uh, in the near future from our time together this weekend. Now today we are continuing our series called Origins. And if you got your Bibles, go ahead and be opening them up to uh, um, Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 13 and 14. That's where we're gonna be today. Now last week, we were introduced to a man named Abram and his wife, Sarai. These are the same people that we would call Abraham and Sarah. They're gonna get their names changed later, but right now, still Abram and Sarai. And Abraham is one of our great uh, heroes of the Old Testament, and he will always be remembered for his great faith and obedience to God. And so God calls Abram to leave his homeland and go to a land they didn't even know where he was going. In fact, God told him to go and he just got up and he went. And it's faith like that. That is why Abram is remembered. That's why for generations we've been talking about him and that's why we'll be talking about Abraham until the Lord returns again one day. But God told Abraham that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars. They would be like dust, and nobody can count that stuff. And that's how his descendants would be. Now, back then, Abraham didn't have all the details that God was relaying to him. He didn't have all, everything planned out like like we can so conveniently look at his life today. We, We know the end of the story, and we know how Abraham's life story completely unfolds, and how his descendants, the Israelites, how they will eventually bring us Jesus and how Jesus will bring us salvation. We know all that today, but back then, Abram was just following one instruction at a time. And what he knew is that God told him to get up, leave his home, leave everything behind, and head towards a land, and God had promised that he's gonna give him and his descendants this land. But as you're reading through this in Genesis 12, we realize pretty quickly there is one problem. Abraham is 75 years old when God tells him to leave his home country and that he's gonna be the father of this great nation. Uh, Abraham didn't have any kids. His wife Sarah, a little bit younger than him, but their window for having kids Kids, well, let's just say it has closed. But in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 15 and in Hebrews chapter 11 and other places in the Bible, we learn that Abraham, he just simply believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, what we also learn from Genesis 12 is that uh, not only is Abraham remembered for his great faith, But at the same time, he didn't always make the wise decision. Not all of his actions were faith-filled. There were times when Abraham was making all of his decisions completely out of fear rather than faith. And as I shared with you last week, um, this is something I really appreciate about the Bible. It just, the Bible doesn't sugarcoat anything. It doesn't hide the flaws of our biblical heroes. And the fact that Abraham had flaws and he made mistakes, uh, it just says to me that he's a real person. That he's just like you and me and, and everybody else. He's, he's a real guy. Because we don't have a perfect track record either. 
But at the end of chapter 12, we learn there's a famine in the land and Abraham starts making some really poor decisions. These poor decisions were, like I said, were motivated by fear, not faith. And these decisions landed Abraham in Egypt. And he ends up lying to Pharaoh by telling him that his wife Sarah is actually his sister. Now he told that lie because he was afraid they were going to kill him and take Sarah anyway. Well, Pharaoh, thinking that Sarah was unmarried, he took her into his household. But thankfully, as we learned last week, God intervenes. And what does God do? God strikes Pharaoh's entire household with diseases. And somehow through all that, Pharaoh figures out that Abraham and Sarah are actually married. And he's furious. And he kicks them out of Egypt. And that was a good thing. And this is where we left off last week. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negveg. Now, what that means is he leaves Egypt and he is heading back to the land that God told him to go to, the land he should have never left. So he's heading back to what we would know today is, is the promised land. And we also know that Abraham and Lot and Sarah, they are leaving with a lot of stuff. Evidently, Abraham and his family... They did all right financially in Egypt, living this lie that Sarah was actually Abraham's sister because Pharaoh gave him a lot of stuff. Now, now look back a couple verses in chapter 12, verse 16. Uh, Pharaoh treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. And let me tell you, in Bible times, that's the stuff of wealth. So he's leaving Egypt a very rich man. And I think there's maybe perhaps a temptation for us all these years later to look back on this incident of, of Abraham and Sarah lying to Pharaoh and being in Egypt. And there is this temptation today, maybe you felt this, to maybe kind of dismiss this sin. Or maybe just kind of maybe have this thought that, hey, what happened to Abraham and Sarah there? It wasn't all that bad because, I mean, look what they walked away with. I mean, some might even conclude, maybe the, the casual reader of the Bible may conclude that it was actually worth it in the end. But let me just tell you, that is looking at this situation completely through the lens of the world. That's kind of like looking at this situation through maybe some of the problems that we endure today and, and it's how easily we might dismiss that and say, yeah, so they went to Egypt, had some hardships. It really wasn't that big, big a deal because, man, they became super wealthy when they left. Wasn't that worth all, all the hardship? Kind of like somebody today would maybe be quite conflicted if they were offered the opportunity to break the law just one time, if they knew that breaking the law would enable them to pay off all of their debts. Can you imagine what, what life would be like if, if you were just completely debt-free and nobody in our church family had any debts whatsoever and you were, had this opportunity, it was a little bit shady and maybe wasn't that good, and we might just dismiss some behavior if that meant the end would be debt-free? Some would, some would really think about it. You know, I never saw this movie, this old movie starring Robert Redford and Demi Moore and Woody Harrelson. I, I've never seen the movie. I don't intend to ever see the movie. But this storyline in this movie deals with this couple who considers this indecent proposal made to them by this very wealthy man wanting to know if they would be willing to step outside their marriage bond for one night in return for Riches. 
And my understanding is in this movie, like I said, I've never seen it, but it creates quite a dilemma for them. See, so we tend to look at sin sometimes and we say the means justifies the ends because if the end is riches and, and all these things that can come, what's a little indiscretion? And so we tend to look at Abraham that way through a very worldly lens saying, well, it didn't, wasn't all that bad. Well, what's the big deal? Why are we making a big deal out of this sin? Because look at all this wealth that they acquired. So obviously it turned out okay. But that is very short-sighted, as is most of the time when we dismiss sin very easily or we downplay it as not that big a deal or we say, oh, that really didn't hurt anybody. See, here's the reality of what happened to Abraham and Sarah and Lot as they're in Egypt. What we dismiss or perhaps downplay really has the potential to cause damage for years to come. And that is the, 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 the dark side of sin that sometimes we don't like to talk about, that this thing can have ramifications for a long time. And that certainly was the case for Abraham and Sarah. Because everything that Abraham and Sarah received in Egypt, which in this case is a lot of wealth, it will cause them trouble, great trouble down the road. This is trouble that he would never have had to deal with had he just simply obeyed God and he had not gone to Egypt in fear. So the first big consequence of his sin, we're, we're gonna read about it right here in chapter 13. Abraham and Lot, they become so wealthy in Egypt that when they go home, they can no longer live close to one another. This is a consequence of what happened in, in Egypt. Uh, that, that, that this family is gonna have to break apart for their own survival. The second big consequence, well, that's gonna come down the road and it's gonna come at the hands of a woman named Hagar. She was a maidservant who joined Abraham and Sarah while they were in Egypt. And this woman is gonna bring all kinds of division and sorrow into this home. And that would have not happened had Abraham just stayed right there where he was supposed to be and not go to Egypt. The third huge consequence of their sin in Egypt is this. Their time in Egypt gave Lot just enough taste of a different kind of life that God never intended Abraham or Sarah or Lot to ever experience. From, from that point forward, from their time in Egypt, Lot began to see his life and compare his life by everything that he experienced in Egypt and it would ultimately lead to his downfall and the ruin of his own family. So yeah, Abraham and Lot they walked away from Egypt, very wealthy men, but let me just tell you, and this is what we're gonna see over the next couple chapters, it opened the door to family drama like they had never seen before, and this family drama is what takes center stage in these next few chapters. So you got your Bibles? Genesis chapter 13, and we're gonna start in verse five. It just says this, now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling between Abram's herders and Lot's arose. The Canaanites and the Pezzarites were also living in the land at that time. In other words, they had so much stuff possessions, they had animals, they had servants. The land could no longer support both Abraham's family and his people and Lot's family and his people. So going to Egypt and going someplace they should have never gone 
And doing there what they should have never been doing has now circled back and it is creating problems with God's promise to Abraham. Now, I don't know this for certain. This is me kind of just a little bit of conjecture here. But I think it's logical to assume that God's plan was always for Abraham and Lot to stay close together, for this to be a, a, a singular family unit that would begin to grow. One group, just like they had been for, for years before this. Had they never gone to Egypt, I think they would have stayed one group. But now, because in Egypt they'd grown so wealthy, now the land that they have that God gave them can't support both of them. And so for their own survival and for their flocks and for their own people and for peace of mind, now we're gonna have a division in this family. Let's see how they figured it out. Look at verse eight. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and, don't miss this important detail, pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. What we just read here is Abraham taking the high road and this is Abraham playing the role of peacemaker. I mean, what's obvious is the handwriting's on the wall that they're gonna have to separate their ways. But Abraham does something that is so unexpected to me he lets Lot choose first. What do you want, Lot? And you can have it. Now, I think, personally, Abraham would have been perfectly well within his rights to just say, hey, I'm gonna take this land and you can have that stuff over there. Because after all, God made the promise to Abraham that this land was belonged to Abraham. And I think Abraham could easily pull the rank and just said, hey, Lot, I'm taking this. This is the best stuff and you can have all this other stuff. But the exact opposite happened. Abraham allows Lot to choose first and choose he did. Let me tell you, he saw what looked like to be the best land and he's like, I'm going there. Now, to me, it certainly seems selfish and it seems greedy on Lot's part to move in that direction and it seems very selfless and generous for Abraham to, to move to another section. We're seeing something right here uh, about, uh, about something between Abraham and Lot that, that speaks volumes about their character. So this whole interaction about Abraham saying, you can have whatever you want, and Lot taking uh, without really considering Abraham, it speaks volumes about their character. I think about maybe Abraham took away from Egypt a few life lessons that are now serving him well as he's trying to redirect his life back in a godly way. But Lot seems like he took away some lessons from Egypt that, uh, that really fed into his less than quality character 
And, and this now is on full display in this feud with Abraham. And I think as I look at this, there are lessons in here for us today, lessons that can be discerned and pulled out of just the character that is on display between Abraham and Lot. So let's, first of all, let's take a look at Lot. What does he do? He chooses the very best land for himself. And that teaches us something very significant about Lot. You know what it is? Lot is full of pride. That's what that teaches us. Being younger than Abraham, he should have submitted to Abraham. It was his uncle. That would have been the right thing to do. It would have been the right thing to say, hey, Abraham, God is working through you and you're my elder family member. You've done a lot for me. You've taken me in and you know what? You get first choice. That should have been the response, but it wasn't the response and that shows us that he was full of pride. It also reveals that Lot was much worldlier than Abraham. At this point in the story of what God's doing in their life, Lot is a whole lot more worldlier. I say that because he chooses the land that what? It looks much like the rich you know, uh, you know, Nile Delta in Egypt where he was living before. It seems like, hey, this is what reminds me of Egypt and man, I want to be there. And, and what Lot is doing here is he's moving this, this direction. It's showing us that he's okay with, with, uh, with his heart longing to be closer to that which is dangerous and that which is secular. There, there's this uh, piece of Egypt that Lot took with him when he left and he never let it go. So picking the land that reminds him of Egypt, what well, kind of indicates that perhaps he missed Egypt, and he missed the days of a little bit more worldly living and that kind of lifestyle. We know that from his character and these decisions that Lot was selfish because he took the best land for himself. So not only was he prideful and worldly, he was selfish. Lot is uh, the Old Testament example of somebody who lived by sight and not by faith. He made a decision solely based off what he could see with his own eyes. We don't have a record anywhere of, of Lot, you know, inquiring of the Lord. You know, we don't know, don't have any record of Lot building altars to God for worship like Abraham did. We certainly know that Lot was not like, you know what, this is a big decision in front of us, Abraham, and you know what I think we should do? I think we should get down on our knees. I think we need to worship. We need to sacrifice. Let's seek the Lord's will on which direction we should go. No, no, no. Nothing like that happened at all. We see from this decision that, that Lot was reckless. Where did he end up pitching his tents? He could have pitched his tents anywhere, but where did he, where did he put them? Right next to Sodom. Sodom's this extremely wicked place. We're gonna see in just a few short chapters from now just how wicked Sodom really was, but here in our text, we learn that Sodom is just wicked. That's what the Bible tells us. And so where does Lot choose to live? Right next to this wicked city of Sodom. So Lot was what? Prideful, worldly, selfish, reckless. He operated out of what seemed to make the most sense based on what he could see. He, he doesn't seem like this wonderful, great guy. And as time goes on, the characteristics of their characters of Abraham and Lot, they grow farther and farther apart. It becomes quite obvious that one is trying to walk with God and the other one 
is that Lot has a lot of problems. But take Abraham on the other hand. Again, not a perfect person, and I don't want to present him as somebody who never made a mistake. But Because he, he certainly had his fair share of blunders, that's for sure. But what we see in Abraham, which is different than Lot, is that when Abraham makes a mistake, it seems like he is coming back to the Lord. It's like, I blew it, and I'm coming back to God. It seems very obvious that even though Abraham will continue to make some mistakes, he is striving to walk and grow with his walk with the Lord, and, and he learned some significant lessons while he was in Egypt. And when it comes to dealing with his nephew, here's what Abraham resolved to do. Abraham resolved to be a peacemaker. You know, when Abram left for, for Egypt, all that was on his mind back then was himself. And, and maybe he was more like Lot back then. But when he returned from Egypt, and he returned to some of those altars that he had built to the Lord for worship, and, and he started to recenter back on, on God and God's plan. He had a different attitude. And it seems like he's getting his priorities back in order of putting God first and others next. So sure, Abraham could have pulled rank on Lot and said, you go here and I'm taking all this good stuff, but instead he chooses to be a peacemaker and he chooses to live out what we would later know as Romans chapter 12, verse 10. And it just says this. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. This is no doubt, this is Abraham putting Lot and his family and his people in front of his own. This is Abraham giving Lot all the advantages. And this speaks to his character of being a peacemaker and God is gonna bless him for these actions. I wonder how many of us in here today have a person like Lot in our lives. You know, one thing that I tend to do sometimes is I'm learning and understanding, you know, uh, all these different people in the Bible. There are names of people in my life and people that I have come across and people that I know that sometimes go, reminds me like, yeah, that's kind of, he's kind of like Lot in the Bible. Do you have any Lots in your life? Maybe you've got somebody in your circle or perhaps a family member that just creates so much family drama, you don't even know what to do right now. Well, not even Father Abraham could escape family drama. He couldn't escape difficult personalities or worldly behavior of those who were the closest to him. And I think some of us can, can really relate to perhaps what, what Abraham is going through. So what did he do? And what did he end up doing? And is that something that we could do also? That's really a big question. What did he do about it? And what he did about it, is that something that we could do as well? Well, what did Abraham do? He took the high road and he chose to be a peacemaker. And this is one of the hardest things that you or I will ever do, is to be the peacemaker and to initiate peace and to be the, the solver of conflict, not the adder to conflict. Now, the Bible doesn't share with us any of the details of like, boy, Abraham really wrestled with decision or it was very tough for him. Uh, we don't have those details. Did Abraham agonize over this day and night? What am I gonna do? I don't wanna give him the land, but I guess I will. We just don't have those decisions. But what we do know is he chose to honor Lot and he gave of himself. 
And really what I see in Abraham here is he is living out the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, before Jesus ever taught them. And what I'm thinking of specifically is when G- what Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 and following, when he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, if we are committed to living out the teachings of Jesus in our own lives, then there are going to be times when each of us will face our own Abraham and Lot moments. Those moments when we absolutely have the right to claim for ourselves certain things, but we allow other people to go before us, or we allow other people to have the best, or to have our spot. We allow that to happen because we love God and we love them. This doesn't mean that we turn into a bunch of doormats, not at all. There's some people that think loving my neighbor just means that I'm gonna get walked on the rest of my life. No, 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 that's not at all what Jesus is saying. Far from that, in fact. This is about our faith in the Lord. And that he knows what's best for us regardless. And we're going to trust him with all these decisions in our lives. And if we put somebody else first because we're following the teachings of Jesus, God is going to bless that. This is about obeying God's word. This is about putting the outcome of our obedience completely in God's hands. You know, Paul taught the church in Romans 14, 19. He says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. And I guess maybe a question I have for us as a church, how are we doing with that these days? How are are we doing in our efforts to make peace? That is not the easiest thing to do in today's culture, is it? It's not easy to do sometimes in our families. It's not easy to do in our schools and and at work and, and on our teams and And in politics, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Philippians 2, 3 through 5 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others better than yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And what exactly is the mindset of Christ Jesus? The mindset of Christ Jesus is best seen on the cross. That he would die for those whom he loved. Friends, that is loving your neighbor. That is putting others in front of yourself. That Jesus would die for us. The cross of of Jesus is the epitome of looking out for the interest of others. It is the epitome of love putting others first. The cross of Jesus is the best example of making every effort that will lead to peace. And in the case of the cross, it was Jesus who was leading the effort to bring peace between us and God. So Abraham chose peace and God blesses him for that. Uh, look at chapter 13, verse 14. So after, after Lot leaves, it says, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and south, east and west, all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth 
So that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the trees, the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. God affirmed Abraham. When he chose to be a peacemaker, and, and chose to give to Lot instead of holding it for himself, God just affirmed that decision by telling him, listen, listen, ultimately, all this is going to you guys anyway. All of this belongs to you. You made the right call. So, Abram moved his people uh, away from Lot. Lot moved his people away from Abraham. They separated, and uh, Lot would go out and pitch his tents near Sodom, and Abram would go out and pitch his tents and he would worship the Lord by building an altar. Right before our eyes, it appears that, God, that Abram is pursuing God and obedience while Lot is pursuing self and worldliness. Lot had a great opportunity to become a man of God as he walked with Abraham but we don't read about Lot becoming a great man of God. We don't read about him building these altars of worship. We don't read any of that stuff. Instead, we see Lot taking a very familiar path that, that sadly we've watched many other people take. And if we're being honest, it's a path that many of us were on at one point in our lives. First, what does Lot do? He looks out towards Sodom. And then what's he do next? He moves toward Sodom. And then finally, what you'll see in chapter 14 is that he moves into Sodom. This is Lot's trajectory. I see the wicked city. I'm gonna go near it. And then I'm gonna live near it. And then I'm gonna live in it. Completely different trajectory than what Abraham is on. Well, as you go into chapter 14, we learn this, that war breaks out and Lot is gonna find himself in a very difficult situation. Why is he gonna be in a difficult situation? Because war breaks out and he is living in Sodom and Sodom is gonna get overrun in this war and guess what happens to Lot? He becomes a prisoner of war and he gets carried off captive. This would have never happened if he had just kept his eye on the Lord and stayed away from the wicked city of Sodom. Abraham didn't get caught up in this fight. Abraham wasn't a part of this war, but Lot was because he chose wickedness. But Lot is like many people. Lot is like, sadly, many Christians that we gravitate and are tempted by the world. This is one of the dangers of, of, of every day of our lives as a Christian. We, we are pulled, we are tempted, and, and there's something in us that just gravitates towards worldliness that we have to take hold of those things and, and those thoughts and those ideas and make it obedient to Christ and, and, and walk in faith. But Lot is being pulled, he's being pulled towards worldliness. And you know why that is? It's because while he was in Egypt, he got just a little bit of taste of, the, of this other world. And he enjoyed it. And Sodom, I believe, represented something that Lot enjoyed. Friends, if you identify with the world, you are gonna suffer what the world suffers. And that's what's happening to Lot. 
He enjoyed, he was drawn, and he identified with Sodom, and he is suffering now what Sodom got. And he's a prisoner of war. Now, Abraham, even though they parted companies, it doesn't mean that Abraham completely forgot about his nephew or that he didn't love him or anything like that. And, and, and what happens next is we see a side of Abraham that we have not seen yet in the Bible. Look at chapter 14, verse 13. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. What did he report? Hey, Sodom's been ransacked and your nephew is a prisoner of war and they're taking him away. Now, Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Ishkol and Aner, all of whom allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. So in other words, you can see Abraham had 318 men who were born up into his family that were warriors for him. So yeah, he had a lot of wealth. He had a lot of things happening. God has been blessing. There are people in his company that he could count on. 318 fighters. And it says this, during the night, verse 15, Abram divided his men to attack them and he routed them. Pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus, he recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. So Abraham, he treated his nephew Lot with love, both when he gave Lot the first choice of all the land and when Abram risked his own life to go and rescue him. Lot had not been kind to Abraham. And I can tell you that Abraham had every excuse to just let his nephew suffer whatever painful outcome that was going to have for, as a consequence of his own stupid decisions. Abraham could have totally taken that position. Oh, that's my dumb nephew, Lot. You know what? He gets what he deserves. But Lot was his family, and Abraham and his men would ride over 120 miles to rescue Lot and to rescue all the people. Please make sure you read all of chapter 14 so you get the full picture of, of all that took place with this war and, and Lot being taken as a prisoner and, and Abraham coming to his rescue. I wish I could tell you today that Lot's near-death experience of being taken as a prisoner of war, I wish I could tell you that snapped him back into shape with God, but it doesn't, not at all. In fact, Lot's story is far from over as we are gonna discover in the chapters ahead. But what does, what does become obvious is that there is a clear distinction between Abraham and Lot. And these two men are on, on, on two different trajectories through life. And if we are wise and astute enough to see it, it is an example of people today. It's us. We, we can either live our lives chasing after the Lord like Abraham does, trusting God and putting the needs of others in front of our own, or what I would say, living the Christian life and living by the teachings of Jesus. Or we can chase after the world like Lot did, putting his own selfish desires before everything else. We can live like Lot, whose eyes look towards Sodom, and then he moved towards Sodom, 
And finally, he moved into Sodom and ultimately suffered the same fate as Sodom by becoming a prisoner of war needing rescue. This is the trajectory of, of two family members, but it is an example of two kinds of people today. And who are you gonna be? You're gonna chase after Abraham's path, you're gonna chase after Lot's path. You know, I believe chapter 14 ends with one of Abraham's greatest moments. And he's coming home after rescuing his nephew Lot and all the people of Sodom. And as he's coming home, the king of Sodom rides out to meet Abraham. And look at verse 21. Look what happens. The king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the people and keep all the goods for yourself. In other words, hey, thanks for what you did. Give me back all my people and you can keep all the spoils of war. Which honestly would have been customary at that time. You fight the battle, you sacrifice to do it, you get to keep all the spoils of war. That's kind of how it's worked forever. But look at how Abraham responds. Verse 22. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. Friends, this is Abram's brave heart moment. This is him saying, I can't be bribed. I can't be bought. I belong to the Lord. I don't belong to you. And ultimately what he's saying is, I belong to a godly, holy system. I do not belong to a worldly, secular system. I am not of this world. I am, I am, I'm a stranger. I'm a foreigner just passing through. My home is in heaven. It's as if Abraham is saying all of that. And I would say, friends, may we have today the same kind of resolve to walk with the Lord like Abraham is showing us in chapter 13 and 14. May we have the same kind of resistance today to worldliness. Man, what incredible faith. Man, let me pray for you. Dear God, I just thank you for this example of trust and dependency on you that we read about here from Abraham. And no, Lord, we know he wasn't perfect. And we know, Lord, in future chapters, he'll mess up again. But Lord, what a great example. And Lord, as I see in this text, we see Abraham's life going one way and his nephew Lot's life going another way. And boy, is that not an example of the trajectory that many are on today. Lord, may we be the kind of people. Lord, may we be the church that pursues you. May we look at the world and all of his temptation and say, we don't want anything of that. We wouldn't want any influence on our lives there. We are walking with God. And Lord, I just pray that you'll help each of us set our eyes on the future, set our eyes on what is to come, and to have this mentality that this world we're living in, it's temporary. It's not our home. We're just strangers and aliens. We're foreigners just passing through this earth. Our eternal home is in heaven. Oh, Lord, we look forward to that day. Help us to live righteous lives until we are with you in heaven forever. In Jesus' name, amen.